electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Mike Santoli. Kramer and David Faber have the morning off. Futures look to get back a little more of this losing week as retail sales come in solid up 1-1 and shares of city going to open up four on maybe the strongest bank print of the week. Don't forget options expiration is today. Our roadmap begins with futures popping. Wall Street digests some better than expected economic data. Plus, the big banks continuing to report results. City and Wells Fargo both out. We'll dig through those numbers. And China recording its slowest growth since the beginning of 2020. We will take you live to Beijing. We'll start with the markets, though, and the better-than-expected June retail sales data. Pretty interesting uh, internals here. As we set up 1-1, we were looking for 9-tenths. X-Auto, 1, looking for 7-tenths. Furniture turned positive. E-commerce, nice little positive. Really, only department stores with the wrinkle in this one. Definite relief. Um, You see some firmness in the spending trend. Um, I don't think people were expecting it to really fall apart, but it goes counter to the preoccupation we've had, obviously, with uh, the potential for a deep slowdown recession. Empire State Manufacturing, not just better than expected, but some of the internal inflation kind of leading indicators were benign as well. All that together, I think, feeds into a market that has managed to kind of find some traction most days, even when it's opened lower in the past, I'd say, eight trading sessions. Um, People came into this quarter without carrying a lot of equity exposure. That maybe is, is showing itself here. The toggle between is the Fed going to go 100, it's going to go 75. That seemed to matter yesterday. It seems to matter in the short term in terms of short-term Treasury yields. I think the bigger picture, though, is if that's the Fed's mission and their intent on it, and they're really mostly paying attention to things like inflation and things like the University of Michigan inflation expectations, which we're going to get in an hour, you might as well have a better economy. And the retail sales numbers say that that's better than than the alternative because we're no longer saying, I don't think, Retail sales beats by a little bit. Therefore, it clinches a bigger rate hike in two weeks. Right. Uh, well, Waller did say that um, today's retail number would be, yes. and, and Michigan, would be, would be on setting expectations because we go into the blackout window starting now. Sure. And I do think the market is at least giving the opening for a full percentage point hike. Um, I think what matters most is, is, is how that one is characterized, that hike. Uh, you go on a break until September in terms of meetings, policy meetings, and that means um, if, it, if it seems like it's a front load, that's fine. Um, you know, I still think that the market took some comfort yesterday when Waller said 75 is a big hike. Let's not forget that. I'm not sure he, he wanted to have 100 be the prevailing expectation. Right. So you, you made the point about the last couple of days of, I guess, people are calling it resilience. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you know, you're down two. You get back most of it for a couple of days in a row. You've had a lot thrown at the market. Uh, hot CPI, sort of meh bank earnings. Yeah. Got drama in Italy. Is it is it about that or is it about the fact that we're still down on the week and we yes. have not reclaimed 3,900? Yeah, I don't think that... Um anything's been really decided. I mean, the trend is what the trend is. And, and in fact, if anything, people would say that the bounce off of the lows, you know, in mid-June 
was really pretty mechanical and not very impressive in terms of get, showing a full return to equity risk appetite. And so I think that um, it's, it's great to say that maybe people are kind of sold out and the exposures are low, as I said. Everything you look at says that's the case, you know, the hedge fund positioning and all the rest of it. But that in itself doesn't necessarily mean you go up. It just means that nobody has to sell as much as they did before. Obviously, we're early in earnings season. We don't know what's priced in. You can make the plausible case that a lot is. Um, Yesterday, Apple was up 2%. If Apple's not up 2% yesterday because of Apple stuff, really, and because of fund flows and because of how people treat that stock as uh, something to grab onto in in an uncertain time, um, you know, maybe we're not talking about resilience in the overall tape. It's 7% of the S&P. Let's, let's yeah. keep in mind. Well, the calendar is going to get even more crowded uh, next week. Yeah. And we actually get some interesting calls this morning about what Microsoft and Netflix and Amazon may say uh, in the coming days. We'll get to that later on in the hour. We do want to get uh, more to the banks this morning, City and Wells, of course. And let's bring in our Leslie Picker talk about, I guess, LP, you really got to start with City here and, and uh, beating on revenue by more than a billion dollars. Yeah, which is definitely a differentiator for Citi relative to its other big banking peers. Um, Until now, we hadn't really seen a top and bottom line beat this quarter. Wells Fargo missed on the top line. It did wind up beating on the bottom line when excluding uh, certain factors related to a revaluation in their venture capital and private equity portfolio. Um, Currently, there's the Citigroup media call that is underway. CFO Mark Mason speaking on it, saying he does expect a benefit from rising rates in the future, but partially offset his concerns uh, by his concerns about inflation and the prospect of a recession. But you can see their Citigroup up up almost 5% this morning, uh, obviously helping bring up some of the other big banks, with the exception being Wells Fargo, which is down about 0.7% currently on uh, you know what I just described to be a miss on the top line, a big decline for Wells Fargo by about almost 50% um, on net income during the quarter, thanks in part to a big drop off in that uh, home lending business. Um, mortgages obviously have been impacted by the rising interest rate environment, although they did guide up their net interest income, which is supported by rising interest rates. So they said that that's now going to be 20% growth this year, up from the teens where it was before, teens percent uh, before. So that's kind of helping offset uh, some of the disappointment there. So that stock down about 0.7% this morning, guys. Fick up 31, uh, even with uh, IB continuing to be cut roughly in half. Mike, interesting. Still, people are going back on JPM and saying, look, return on equity was up 13. Card yeah. spending was up 15. That that buyback suspension didn't yeah. sort of discolor the overall mood. It, it 100% did. Um, and it really is uh, emblematic of how we're viewing the overall economy and markets, which is fine. Last three months were okay. You're performing well. Uh, it seems as if There's not visible distress in consumers or corporate credit, uh, but we're worried about what's to come. And so the buyback was was one of those elements where you could at least feel like you were leaning on that uh, as part of the bullish case. It goes away. It's not, you know, as cheap, let's say, J.P. Morgan as it was relative to book value, say, in early 2016 when we had that mega low in some of the financials. But the other ones look, you know, I mean, City has been way below book value forever. uh, And that's one of those where it just has to seem like things are going in the right direction in terms of returns for it to, uh, to work, but it's it's really about, like, tell me if there's going to be a, a recession or not. Tell me if corporate credit's going to fall apart. That's what tells me if I buy these stocks not, 
your expectations for net interest margin, even though that's a good thing in the next few yeah. quarters. And, you know, Leslie, qualitatively, just on the calls uh, so far this week, you know, Sharf did say things were probably going to get worse economically. And then people still talking yep. about uh, what Gorman said in, in terms of complication. It's complicated, but not 08 complicated, as we said yesterday. Yeah, and I think Mike summed it up really well, this whole idea that pretty much every banking executive that we've heard from this week is feeling really good about the state of both the consumer and the business environment right now. But they are very concerned about the plethora of geopolitical risks, macro risks, rising interest rates, inflation in particular. We heard that from Mark Mason just moments ago where he was talking about, he's the CFO of Citigroup, talking about, look, things are looking fine right now. The issue is the uncertainty into the future. Jamie Dimon kind of put a timeline on that, which made me feel, I guess, a little bit more comfortable looking at, you know, he, he basically said we should know the result of all of these uncertainties by January, February of next year. So, Basically saying, buckle up, we've got maybe another six or seven months left of uncertainty, and then we should really get a sense of kind of what the trajectory is for rates. Things hopefully will stabilize. You heard that a bit on the Wells Fargo media call as well, calling for another few quarters of uncertainty with regards to rates and uh, their mortgage business, and then hopefully things will stabilize from there. And then, Leslie, it's, it's kind of remarkable the extent to which a lot of these uncertainties are, are really about market signals that the, these guys are picking up. We're seeing what financial markets have done, seeing the expectations for the Fed baked into markets. Obviously, inflation is this big kind of overlay of pressure. But what are the CEOs doing in terms of their own business, like risk taking or cost cutting? I know the mortgage business has been, you know, headcount reductions mm -hmm. and things like that. But that could determine, you know, what exactly the economic outlook looks like if, if, if banks are either going to stay the course or if they're going to retrench. No, it's a really good point, Mike. And interestingly, you're hearing these concerns from the bank CEOs. But then when you look at the expense side of things, it's kind of all things go, green light go for expenses. Um, there was a question on JP Morgan's call yesterday about you know, how you kind of reconcile this idea that there is an economic hurricane coming, but then keeping your $77 billion spending guide um, you know, in light of all of that. We saw expenses tick up at Citi as well. I think they were up about 8% during the quarter, um, just as these banks do continue to invest in light of what they're seeing out there. They are not really to, um, we're not seeing any kind of slowdown in terms of actual expenses. What we are seeing in certain cases are bigger reserve builds, just in anticipation of that. And then what we saw with JP Morgan, as well as Citi, in terms of uh, pausing their buybacks. Yeah, I think it was Mayo of Wells yesterday who said uh, that JPM's yes. miss would have been more palatable if it had come from higher reserves or less bad expense guidance. Uh, just we're going to get more of this uh, to talk about come Monday and Tuesday of next week. Uh, Leslie, thanks. That's our Leslie Picker getting yeah. us up to speed on the banks today. Uh, China uh, posting weaker than expected second quarter GDP. It's the slowest growth in more than two years. Our Eunice Yoon is in Beijing this morning with details. Hi, Eunice. Hey, Carl. Well, the economy contracted in the second quarter from the previous quarter. It managed to eke out an expansion from a year ago at 0.4 percent, though there's widespread skepticism that the economy even managed that. Uh, the main cause, of course, is the COVID lockdowns in cities like Shanghai. Though there is another big concern on the horizon, the property sector. Uh, the um, uh, debt problems of the real estate giant Evergrande 
from a year ago uh, never really went away. In fact, we're seeing them reflected in the numbers. A property investment clocked a rare decline in June, straining growth and the financial sector. Now, local media have also been reporting uh, that uh, something that's being described as a mortgage strike movement, and that is that people are refusing to pay their mortgages for unfinished projects. So, so far, about 100 of them across the country. Now, regulators say that they're going to be working with local authorities to try to make sure that those homes are delivered. Banks have also said that the financial risks are controllable. However, the problems with the homeowners are showing up in what China would consider to be very bad employment figures. The government said that June employment has improved, but youth unemployment is heading towards 20 percent. So banks such as Goldman are cutting their estimates for growth for the year, uh, all well below the government target of around 5.5 percent. Back to you. Uh, some amazing numbers there uh, as we watched that data come in last night. Eunice, thanks. Our Eunice Yoon. Still to come this morning, UNH, upbeat results and guidance. Stocks in positive territory for the year. You don't want to miss an interview with the CEO as it's going to open up 2+. plus. Take a look at the pre-market. Uh, the eco data is going to continue. we got Empire, got retail, going to get UMish, but before that, industrial production after the break. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create. Like Olu Shei, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Rick Santelli here with more live breaking news on this Friday's trading day. And, of course, we are breaking out the capital capacity utilization industrial production for the month of June. Production down two-tenths of one percent. We're expecting a positive number of up one-tenth of one percent. And we haven't had this particular number negative, well, negative since the end of last year when it was an equal down two-tenths. You have to go all the way back to February of last year to find a bigger negative number. Not good. And on the utilization side, expecting a number close to 81%, but we get 80% on utilization rates, and that follows a revised uh, 79.0 that was revised to 80.3. So these numbers are a bit disappointing, 
and we continue to see that interest rates are not only down for the day, but they're down rather substantially for the week, with 10-year note yields approaching down 18 basis points since last Friday's close. Squawk on the Street will return after a short break. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. The Dow and the S&P set to snap some five-day losing streaks, although equities are on track for another big weekly pullback. Joining us this morning, Northwestern Mutual Wealth Management Chief Investment Officer Brent Schutte is with us to talk about uh, the markets this week, Brent, but I guess more specifically uh, the Fed and the likelihood you think that they might actually undershoot expectations on rates. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think the biggest fear the market has is that the Fed has to keep going even past what is currently priced in the market. So rate hike expectations have pretty much been on an elevator up. They've stabilized a bit recently, and we think they'll stay where they are right now because you are starting to see, despite the hot inflation print last week, you're starting to see uh, forward-looking indicators of inflation come down. Contemplate that spot commodities are off 21%. That is set to have a pretty chilling impact on inflation in the coming months and should alleviate those fears that this is something like the 1970s where economic growth slows, but the Fed has to keep going because inflation doesn't slow with it. Well, uh, Brett, it seems like uh, everybody in the market's looking at those signals and trying to be forward-looking about it and anticipate the turn uh, in policy uh, to accommodate that. And yet the Fed seems to be operating uh, by a different standard, which is multiple months of declining inflation evident in the data itself. It seems to me that's the the, the kind of the frontier uh, of, the, of the tension that exists in these markets where the market wants to get on with you know, the next phase uh, and the Fed says we're not going to show any, any inclination to ease back until the numbers tell us to. Yeah, I mean, the Fed is certainly trying to keep their inflation fighting credibility. They don't want to lose that. That's why they actually increased the pace, because they saw, for example, the University of Michigan 5 to 10 go up to 3.3 percent, which was ultimately revised back to 3.1. But the Fed isn't going to show their hand too early. They want people to believe that they actually have still inflation fighting credibility, because that's what they lost in the 70s and 80s. I don't think they're anywhere near that yet. And if you think about it, the Fed can pivot pretty fast. This has been a more nimble Fed than I think most of us are used to. We used to have the Fed that televised and then did exactly what they said they were going to do. Now the Fed is reacting to the data. That is what is creating the volatility that you're seeing. And I think it could be just as fast on the opposite side if you do see concrete signs showing up in the data. I think that CPI data kind of distorted things um, that it shows that inflation is, in fact, subsiding. Um. Does that mean that you believe, first of all, it's obvious this Fed is more flexible than we previously thought, right? November of last year, we were talking maybe one hike this year. Early this year, Bank of America says seven hikes this year. People thought that was nuts and we're well there. Um, but, but on the other hand, uh, do you think the market can essentially absorb what's already anticipated? In other words, you said the big risk of the market is that you know, people think the Fed has to go farther than what's already priced in. What's priced in? Three and three quarters on the Fed funds by the end of this year? Is that... Uh, palatable uh, to risk assets right now? I, I think so. I think you've seen uh, the market stabilize. I know it's been down a bit this week, but we're kind of in the same range that we have been for the past couple months. Uh, and that's largely due to the fact that um, we've kind of peaked on these rate hike expectations somewhere in the middle of June. Since then, they've come back and kind of stabilized. I think as long as you see that continue, I think the market has put in the bottom. I, I certainly don't think we're going to you know, up, up and away and, and just fly away higher. I think you're going to see a grind back and forth as we kind of await each and every uh, inflation data point. The good news economically, certainly we could have a recession, but I would think of it more as a buyer strike, not necessarily a deep recession like we had in 07, 09, where consumers spent the next 10, 15 years rebuilding their balance sheet. Today, those are still in good shape. 
Uh, and so any recession would be mild and the market to me has made its bottom uh, and, and will push higher into the year end, uh, but certainly not you know, up, up into the right. Right. That's interesting. You know, we speak about a more nimble Fed. Uh, do we have a more nimble corporates? And do you expect earnings season in aggregate to reflect some of the relief we have seen in pricing? I, I do. And I, I think, um, you know, certainly earnings expectations will likely come down. They have just a bit. But I think there's so, still some support and room in certain asset classes. And so I would point to the S&P 600, which trades at 14 times trailing 12 month uh, and, and 12 times forward uh, uh, expectations. Now, certainly those are going to come down. But if you look at prior troughs in that indice, uh, it was around 17 times. And the historical average is somewhere around 20. And so there's room for that uh, area of the market to absorb price declines or pri- our, uh, earnings declines. And so we'd focus on cheaper areas of the market that have a margin of safety against falling earnings expectations. So that would be small caps, obviously, the small cap 600 you're referring to there, which, yes, that's had the, uh, probably the biggest valuation adjustment. What about other parts of large caps? So that, would that imply that cyclical stocks uh, right now seem like where there is the opportunity? Yeah, I mean, I would focus more on the value factor. Uh, and so things that are cheaper, I think, still have room to run. That's been an area that we've been recommending for over a year, year and a half, because we did think parts of the market were expensive. But I think people, when they hear that narrative, they think it's the whole market. I don't think it's the whole market. I think there are parts of the market that still contain value. And that's where investors should focus on, because I think valuation still matters. I think we've all kind of learned that over the past six months, hope streams, themes and memes kind of passed. Uh, growth stocks with high expectations in the future kind of passed. And I think right now you're still focusing on parts of the market that are cheap. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to just be in value sectors. You can still be in value stocks and other parts uh, of, this, of the market. Uh, yeah, it's well set on a, on a week where growth is actually uh, showing a little bit uh, a little bit of strength. Brent, good to see you. Have a great weekend. Brent Thank Schuette you. joining us uh, this morning. Uh, we got futures close to session highs on the heels of some of that macro data and earnings today. That opening bell is coming up in five and a half minutes. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Crude oil are recouping some of this week's losses uh, back to 98 today. The president, of course, heads to Saudi Arabia as part of his Middle East trip, uh, expected to meet with the Saudi crown prince. Uh, some stories on the wire this morning suggesting there won't be any commitment uh, yeah. to boost production. That said, uh, U.S. gas price average is now 458. That's 44 cents off the high in June. Yeah. Wholesale prices continue to, go, to slide. You know, there's a way of actually plotting out, you know, gasoline price trajectory against equities this year. It explains a lot of it. 
Um, I mean, in terms of where gasoline peaked and where stocks so far have hit their lows, uh, obviously more to the story than that. Uh, but there's a sort of comfort level with this idea that we're trading 20% off the highs in crude, uh, even without much of a, uh, of a supply response. So we'll see. Obviously, that's a lot of you know, unwind of momentum and, and futures positioning and people just trying to build in a slower economy as opposed to the here and now change in the supply demand dynamics. But it has helped. The, the real big question is what it means for the stocks. Because you remember on the way up, everyone said these oil stocks mint money at 80. Uh, you know, so it doesn't, it, it doesn't mean <laughs> yes. you have to have the crude go back to the highs. Uh, so we'll see if that uh, proves to be an opportunity. Yeah, there's a look at what uh, some of the majors are doing today. By the way, gasoline demand, normally yeah. uh, in the summertime, you see demand, people driving on vacation. It's actually trended lower in three of the last four weeks. Doesn't yes. happen a lot. Exactly, yeah. Which is raising the price, I mean, the debate at least, about whether or not there is true demand destruction going on. Yeah, or just the hyper awareness of the fact that gasoline got to five bucks a gallon nationally. And, you know, everyone, I could sit here as I have and say, look, in 2014, it was higher on a real basis relative to incomes and everything else. And we've been in a worse spot before in terms of the burden. Um, but it's just the awareness of it and the ability, I guess, to not commute as much and, and all the rest has, uh, has maybe taken that a little bit off the board. Yeah. Well, next week, we're going to know whether Nord Stream 1 uh, is shut right, or yeah. will reopen after maintenance. Uh, and with Europe entering an extreme heat wave in the next week or so, uh, it's going to be all eyes on, on Europe regarding energy security. Let's get the opening bell here and the CNBC real-time exchange with the big board, Asian digital platform, AMTD Digital, celebrating its IPO at the NASDAQ Surge Pays, a provider of prepaid wireless and financial products. You got to watch City at the Open. Bespoke, thanks for this. Um, hasn't gapped up four on earnings since 2009. Uh, and wow. just prior to the Open was up six. Yeah, uh, it is up six and a half percent. So clearly, you know, we, we could talk about what the overall setup was for the bank sector. And they've obviously been weak, underperformed uh, recently. Didn't really, you know, do any... Uh, do any help yesterday for uh, for JP Morgan City though has been kind of the cheapest and maybe the most suspect uh, of the group so uh, seems like even with uh, what a suspension of the of the buyback as JP Morgan did to build capital uh, able to get a little bit of relief I mean a top line you know beat is uh, is significant in uh, in this environment I would right say. Uh, that said uh, BlackRock today not just the miss uh, not just the miss on revenue uh, but inflow is extremely light, 89 billion. Streets looking for 115. Yeah. Uh, AUMs, you know, eight and a half trillion was a little bit lower than the street as well. Yeah, and um, you know, th this is a stock you can basically trade based on what the markets themselves are doing. You can run it through for assets under management. You don't always know the flows uh, in real time. So flows are still slightly positive, but it's obviously not not an offset. Um, you could say that you know the stock is looking a little bit cheaper, but the earnings momentum's going the wrong way when you have asset markets like this. So market recovers it's going to be one of the first out uh, of the hole because it's it's obviously you know got the uh, got the franchise and the leverage to uh, to higher asset values but not really working uh, you know beyond that right and Leslie brought us up to speed on wells before the open it's gonna it's now up too yeah um, as on that net interest income guidance uh, the reserves we said 580 million on on a day where breath is extraordinarily positive after a couple days Mike of opening deep in the red on yes. Bread. Um, so, you know, you do have a little bit of a sense out there that, um, you know, the market has 
has essentially absorbed a fair bit uh, this past week or so. You know, the two-year note yield was all the story you needed yesterday. Uh, it shot up, you know, after that CPI uh, to about three and a quarter. We're still at 314. Um, so that's been the, the, the kind of the barometer of exactly how uh, aggressive the Fed has to get. And, you know, you're sitting a little bit below that right now. So it seems like that's the, the macro side of it. The micro side of it is, uh, you know, Earnings are the usual push-pull of beats and, uh, and, and, you know, guidance guide downs, but the stock's already kind of figured some of that out. So we're early in that process, but the banks always do this, where they react kind of in one direction when the first batch reports. Everyone kind of overcorrects their expectations a little bit, especially on things like trading and, uh, and things like that, and then you get some relief the next day. Right. I was fascinated by your tweet yesterday regarding your mystery broker, um, who win 100 base. By the way, Sockgen today sees 100 basis points in July. But his point to you, or her point, yeah. was that uh, you can't do that in a slowdown. There's, there, I think it's just an articulation of this prevailing idea that there's, there's frustration with the Fed being you know, full speed ahead uh, and trying to essentially chase the published inflation, lagging inflation data uh, in the CPI. Uh, but it's just unacceptably high. I mean, I think that's what we have to also remember. Um, we can, you know, Powell said, this is not a moment to be particularly nuanced about defining inflation and looking at the core and slicing and dicing it. Until that changes, I guess we're going to have to deal with, uh, with the idea of, uh, you know, of the 75 or 100 type debate. But um, I, I think the other piece of it is, as I've been saying since le- Powell's last press conference, you know, if the market gets the impression that the recession is kind of the tool as opposed to the side effect, you know, if it's the real medicine, then that's uh, that's not great for stocks. But I'm not I'm not convinced that's true. I think they feel like, look, maybe we're due to get lucky on some of this stuff. Uh, uh, these he has said repeatedly it would be good to get lucky. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it was uh, J.P. Morgan yesterday referencing jobless claims and they, they're noncommittal on this, but they do say the magnitude of the latest rise in claims is consistent with a rise that is often but not always associated with recession. Yeah. Uh, we think the labor market is losing momentum. It's not obvious how concerned we should be about that slowdown. But exactly. two, 244 is, you know, is raising eyebrows. What's, what they're seizing on is the rate of change from the lows, I think. Um, and so we were at exceptionally low levels. But yeah, that's exactly what you see on the long-term charts is you get this sort of rolling bottom in claims and it trends higher. But often it trends higher with a one-year lead time. Or I mean, it's not just a, an immediate trigger uh, for a recession. Um, I think we have to apply a little bit of, is this cycle the same as the other cycles, um, you know, scrutiny to it. And I don't mean to say that things are going to be better now, but the massive whipsaw in goods demand is clearly impacting the manufacturing sector. We had the miss on industrial production. Um, The most bearish stuff you'll see in terms of where the market has to go to adjust, where earnings have to go to adjust, is the ISM path. Right. That's the manufacturing purchasing managers. Are things better or worse this month? It's really fallen off hard. And everybody can sort of do these lag charts and say, well, that means earnings go down here. Stocks go down here. If that doesn't apply or if that's sort of the worst part of the economy and you have offsets elsewhere, that creates a little more of a, a possibility of support before you have to get to those lows. Right. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Earlier in the week, we had some downgrades of American Express on worries about high income spending. Uh, it's going to lead the Dow today, uh, along with UNH and Visa. And that sort of brings us to Amazon. A lot of notes this morning about Prime Day and estimates of, I don't know, 19 percent growth yeah. uh, year on year in GMV, uh, which is a lot better than a lot of analysts had been expecting. 
It's absolutely better. Um, yeah, I think this is a this is a stock where people are going to grasp for reasons to say that that things are turning for the better. Um, it, there's a very kind of stubborn, mega bullish consensus that's ridden the stock all the way down here, and now it does seem as if people have written off the the e-commerce side as as a growth engine, and so that can help uh, on that level. So you're up almost three percent today on Amazon. It has done nothing really but hurt. Uh, you know, the whole NASDAQ complex, it's 40% off its high. So maybe some uh, some relief on that side of things. Um, in terms of the other piece of the business, you know, the value in, uh, in in cloud and things like that, you are seeing, you know, some fits and starts of traction in uh, in those valuations as well. But that's too early to say it's turned. Yeah. Barclays today, we think there's a decent chance they print a better than feared Q3 guide. We would add selectively into that print. And by the way, interesting piece in the journal about maybe... looking at getting out of private label. Hard to say if that's about regulatory uh, relief or maybe just weak sales on on the Amazon label. Journals seem to characterize it as maybe a way to inoculate themselves from some of the regulatory uh, pressure. But yeah, I mean, you wouldn't think that they would make a move like that if it was a huge bottom line boom, you know, And, and it just the marketplace is what it is. And you don't necessarily have to have the complication of competing against your customers in a way that has the appearance, perhaps, of, of you know, of bias right. and conflict. Speaking of some of this, e-commerce pins up 16. Uh, the journal also says that Elliott, 9% stake, is going to make it its largest investor. Uh, in some discussions with the company, of course, Ben Silberman's gone and Bill Reddy is in. Um, and then some discussion about just the pressure they've been under, whether it's macro, whether it's yeah. Apple privacy, MAU's down 9 in Q2. It seemed like it was all those things. It seemed like it was... Um, there was absolutely a, a sort of a nesting pandemic boom effect in, in Pinterest as well. It's really bite-sized now, though. I mean, in the scheme of things, $13 billion market cap after this pop. Um, big question is what an Elliott might want to see happen here. Clearly, a sale would be on the uh, range of, uh, of possibilities that they would potentially want to see. And, you know, who's amenable and able in a regulatory sense to do that? Um, they have alliances with things like Shopify, right, that where, where it seems like, Knitting it into the e-commerce uh, kind of web is the way maybe you can, can monetize better. Uh, but, you know, advertising at this point, I think the big question is what's overall digital advertising looking like? So a little bit of a, of a warn, I think, by IAC's uh, dot dash yep. uh, this week that, you know, got people's antenna up on that. Yeah, I think it was yesterday B of A took a look at Warner Brothers Discovery and said macro pressure, yes. But the upfront was strong. Mm-hmm. So Jessica reiterates a buy, but she cuts her target. She was at 45. She goes to 23. Yeah. So the, the, they're going to be eyes on, on what the ad market uh, is doing right now. Um, Forex, we've been talking so much about the dollar, obviously, this week and it yep. its relationship to rates and expectations. Uh, yesterday, it was B of A cutting, trimming some numbers on IBM on Forex. Today, it's BMO doing the same for Microsoft, yep. saying constant currency uh, trends look solid, but it's, this is going to be hard to ignore the next few weeks. It would be hard to ignore. It's got to f- run through the, the, the numbers, the forecast. It's never been clear to me that the market itself really seizes on Forex as a, as a, a, a real input to valuation in, in the long term. So, yeah, it's, it's willing to forgive it on the upside. It's obviously a headwind. Uh, I don't think it's going to be the story. To me, the story of the, of the strong dollar is if it continues to scream higher, that's just a recipe in general for financial conditions tightening, for a little bit of 
the entire world kind of hunkering down. And it's the formula for creating these stresses in the system that leads to some kind of accident. There's that school of thought out there that says, can we really have the Fed hike almost 4% in a year? Uh, credit spreads widen. People worry about a recession at the same time. The dollar go to 20-year highs and, and not have, and crypto basically collapse and create a huge deleveraging and not have some knock-on accidents in the system. You mean beyond emerging markets? Beyond emerging markets, something that's some other kind of rupture in there. Uh, we're not seeing it, right? I mean, the, one of the reasons the banks are, are struggling is that they're overcapitalized and they seem uh, a little bit pressured to even get more safe. So I, I, don't, I don't say that's a prediction, but I think that's one of those. I mean, Mike Hartnett at, uh, at B of A is in this camp where he's essentially like, we're just, we're, you're turning up the dials too far and all these things for it to be this kind of glide path to a gentle, uh, you know, conclusion on all these. Right. Although some believe, you know, some suggest maybe the blow up was crypto. Was crypto. Yeah, exactly. Right. You got a trillion taken off. Uh, 100%. And, uh, and that was, if you, if we can limit it to that, some people would take it. Without a doubt. And it very well could be. I mean, you, you know, there, just because subprime wasn't contained doesn't mean other things can't be contained into their own uh, little world. Now, there's a wealth effect attached to that. I don't think we have any sense of exactly how big that was and why it whether it matters, um, you know, for the for the broader economy, right. but that that that's unwound. Right. Uh, speaking of things related to at least what crypto uh, may promise eventually, Twitter. We finally got an announcement on a uh, on a first hearing. Yeah. It'll be Tuesday, 11 a.m. And you can bet we're going to be all over that. Oh, yeah. um, even as this week we got a couple of different takes arguing, I guess mostly that Twitter has a strong case, but yes. others arguing that. Because it wasn't Elon that agreed to buy it. It was entities controlled by him. Right. At the Journal Opinion page arguing entities don't have souls to be imprisoned, right. so to speak. In terms of the ultimate enforcement yes, mechanism yes. or, in fact, there's even some speculation that the, that the court itself would be hesitant to force the close of the transaction almost for fear that it wouldn't be complied with. I mean, that's, that's a backward, you know, uh, kind of way of framing this, but I, I think that's one of those things that's out there because it does seem like such a um, such a dramatic thing to do to say, no, in fact, you have to pay the $44 billion assuming the financing is in place. Right. Although Reuters, nice piece this morning about the judge that will oversee the lawsuit. Uh, big reputation as a no-nonsense uh, jurist um, and has the distinction, Reuters says, of being one of the few ever who has ordered a reluctant buyer to close a corporate merger, and that would be the Kohlberg cake decorating. Exactly. And if you remember, uh, well, maybe most wouldn't remember what happened. That was like right after the COVID crash. And the, the allegation was, and the court sort of found, that, that the buyer itself tried to torpedo the financing. And it basically said, oh, we can't, we can't get it done, and that was going to be the out. And this judge said, sorry, no. We'll watch that. Um, Netflix, a couple of notes out today. Of course, they report next week. UBS says, you know what, that Q2 guidance on subs, we think they're probably right. Yeah. Uh, and in a Stranger Things reference says that subs are going upside down. They trim. They were at 355, even still, and they go to 198. Yeah, which, again, is, is part of this pattern of, you know, uh, trying to kind of mark your price targets to market to some degree and, and try to backfit what it means for uh, for the fundamentals and yet still land at a higher price target than the stock is trading and not much i mean we're at 178 or 177 right now um big question as to whether we're going to see isn't that wouldn't that be an easy thing to tighten the belt on for consumers is just like let me see what my subscription outlay is and 
and try to, you know, it just means churn. I mean, it doesn't mean uh, you have to shrink a lot, but just that kind of churn. I don't know, what's in the, what's in the valuation now of Netflix? 16 times earnings, you believe the earnings, how much they're, if they're going to get a little spending discipline, um, how it shakes out, Squid Game's going to win a bunch of Emmys, who knows? Yeah, and you saw the Needham note yesterday suggesting that the reason they went yeah. with Microsoft as a partner is because they secretly are hoping to get bought. Look, I, I think the market made that leap itself. We don't know. I mean, Microsoft's in a tough spot right now trying to get Activision done. It would be, you know, probably difficult at the same time. But certainly down the road, let's get our hand in there. We have a stake. Remember, Microsoft used to have stakes in, you know, Facebook and, uh, you know, they, they do that. They, they sprinkle things around and, and maybe look for the opportunity. So uh, 3830, maybe 50 points shy of going break even for the week. Let's get to Bob Bassani. Morning, Bob. Good morning, guys. Uh, we're trying to reverse four days of declines, and it's a good start. Eight to one advancing to declining stocks. That, we haven't seen that in a while. Uh, so that's good news. But we're already off of the highs. So uh, the problem is there's not a lot of buying enthusiasm. For the moment, selling uh, pressure might be exhausted, but nobody is enthusiastically buying. Let's take a look at the sectors. What you can see is a very small group of people that are trying to buy the growthier sectors. The This small group of bulls are arguing the bottom will be August, September, and Bob, you want to buy growth in the fourth quarter. So they're, they keep picking its tech stocks, uh, some consumer discretionary stocks. Uh, though those were the ones that kind of are eliciting interest, but again, there's not a lot of, it's a long ways between here and the fourth quarter. Uh, energy's doing a little better. Banks are doing better. They're, they've turned around here. Just take a look. Uh, when was the last time you saw Citigroup lead the S&P 500? But it is. It's up about uh, 5%. The bank stocks are up. Uh, that's nice. I just want to point out that yesterday, you see PNC, that's a new low. Yesterday, all the money center banks, all the super regionals were at 52-week lows. So yes, nice to see a little bounce here. But remember, yesterday, everything was at new lows in the banking sector. How about the earnings trends? This is very early. We haven't really gotten to any of the big industrials that I like to look at that's going to come in the next couple of weeks. But preliminary here, it seems very obvious to me. There's not as many companies that are beating estimates. They are not beating them as rates that are as wide as we have seen uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, the commentary seems a lot much more cautious. And it preliminary, I'm seeing signs that finally the second half estimates are coming down. Let me show you some of the early numbers. Now, these are very early. There's 35 companies reporting. I'm including companies that have uh, a May ending quarter. So it's a little larger group. But so far, 71% uh, are beating the numbers. Uh, last quarter, 77 were beating the numbers, 77%. Uh, the average beat rate is only 4.3%. You see, that's a very small beat rate compared to what we used to have in the last few years when it was 7, 8, 9, 10%. Last quarter was 8.9%. You see, they're beating, fewer companies are beating, and the percentage they're beating by uh, is smaller. So again, I anticipate we're going to see those second half uh, estimates come down. We've already seen in the last two weeks some numbers for the third quarter start to come down. Uh, as far as earnings today, I just want to point out BlackRock. There's a lot of uh, you know chatter out there that somehow this is tremendously disappointing. I'll push back against this a little. It's true the headline numbers, uh, profits down 22%, assets under management down 6%. Just remember, assets under management consists of how much you've actually got and what the prices are. With prices down 20% and what, 10% in the bond market, it's no surprise that the assets under management are down here. What you want to look here is 
long-term inflows of 69 billion, slightly below expectations, but institutional inflows still strong, and that iShares platform still keeps raking in money here. So the asset managers are down big this year. Everybody knows this, and the simple problem, of course, Carl, is that we're seeing uh, the prices down, so the fees they can charge are generally to the downside. But overall, don't kid yourself, uh, BlackRock, Vanguard, they're continuing to rake enormous amounts of money. Carl, back to you. All right, uh, Bob, thanks very much. As we go to break, let's take a look at the bond report, see how Treasuries are faring uh, this morning. It's obviously been the market driver for a while now. Uh, got the 10-year note this morning, I think around just south of three, uh, 2958. Uh, two-year uh, at 316. Bullard on the tape now saying that uh, if the Fed plays its cards right, inflation can come down relatively quickly to 2% over the next 18 months. Dow's up 375. We still are seeing the effects of the pandemic. And, and then, in addition, all the supply chain challenges we've had. I mean, what we're seeing, and you know, we watch it very closely, is we're still seeing very strong demand for our products. In fact, our inventory is very low and doesn't help when we have to build shy, but we'll be working out of that in this next quarter. Uh, and we still plan on, um, you know, on July 1st, we rein- reinforce that our guidance for the year is still intact. Uh, it's GM's Mary Barra with Kramer last night on Mad Money expressing some optimism about demand. She was Jim's last guest on that set. That's because Mad Money kicks off a new era on Monday night. Show's going to begin broadcasting from this floor at the NYSE with a brand new set, a new look. Make sure to tune in Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Mike, it's going to be an event. Absolutely. <laughs> Squawk on the street in the meantime. is be right back. Dow is off the opening high, up 306. You got Bullard and Bostic on the tape on this final day of Fed speak before we go into the blackout window. But the general take, again, is 75 is a pretty healthy hike. Um, and there's no, there's no reason to think that a re- growth recession, where things slow below trend but you don't go negative, is implausible. That's right. Uh, and I, I, it definitely doesn't end the suspense in terms of magnitude of the next hike. I do think it's a small, probably bullish uh, input that Bullard points to the stronger dollar as being disinflationary for the U.S. And so they're trying to point out areas where things can break uh, in the Fed's direction uh, without really saying anything different than we have to be intent on getting the the rate much higher sooner. Um, But Bostic not really going 100, not trying to endorse any particular supersized rate hike. You would imagine they wouldn't want to go the second meeting in a row, being blindsided by a number and having to quickly reset market expectations through a journalistic yes. uh, channel as happened last time. Yes, uh, and it's been a, it's a it's a dicey game. Yeah. By the way, um, I tweeted earlier this morning a photo that was taken in Times Square 20 years ago today uh, is me and Mike uh, with the Dow futures at 8000. Yeah. <laughs> and we were talking about Pfizer Pharmacia. That's right. Pharma, for, fi, uh, Pfizer Pharmacia at the time, a huge block, maybe the biggest merger ever to that point, which is kind of lost in the midst of, uh, of history at this point. What you know, in terms of the reactions to it, everyone's saying, wow, Dow 8600. Now it's 36. Guess what? It's a six and a half percent annualized rate of gain. That's what the market does with with dividends. It's like nine percent. I think it's great in terms of people's mental accounting. The other good reaction was how much you and I have aged or not aged. Or not. I think not. (laughs) Yeah. The fashions of age. 20 years goes by in a hurry. Absolutely. It's been fun, though. Absolutely. Uh, Dow's up 325. We're back in a minute. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. 
Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.